You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a look at the wild world of Bond parodies, including an American response to the Bond franchise. It's 1966's Our Man Flint. Hey everybody, it is now 2020 and we are back with the Bondzilla podcast with a brand new episode to start off the year. Happy I, New Year. Happy New Year. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, we're excited to be back. I've been itching to, to get, get more podcasting out there, but we had a nice little holiday. Itching for a scritching. Uh, I guess, what, what should we start? Should we, did, we, uh, did we receive any gifts based on our uh, our respective fandoms? Well, Nick, I'm very glad uh, that you asked that question because, in fact, I did this holiday season. I got, no, it's interesting. I got a couple of good Godzilla uh, uh, little trinkets. Uh, uh, I received a Godzilla poster uh, that was uh, in the style of an old King of the Monsters uh, uh, poster, but for the new King of the Monsters. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, probably the prize jewel of the, my collection this holiday season is an addition to mm. the studio. Finger. Your quotes, quote, quote, uh, quote unquote. Uh, I got the uh, SH Monster Arts uh, remaining uh, King of the Monsters figures in the Rodan and Mothra double pack. Uh, so that's been fun. I actually don't know if if you've seen them. They're over in the corner. Yeah, right so there. I have. Uh, I saw the box. I yeah. haven't seen them out in uh, person. Well, there they are. There they in, are. In, in, in all their glory, and 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 quite frankly, I, I think that they have gotten a little bit of a bad rap. I've actually been pretty. Uh, happy with uh how they how they turned out the rodan one's pretty cool the the thing i love i don't know if anybody follows these the the toy the toy line at all but the thing i actually do find fun and interesting is the mothra one now the mothra one like if you really kind of like get into the details about how the body looks and everything it's a it, it could be a little bit off but i like that because in the movie she it's you can tell that like it's that she's normally the color scheme that we know from mothra yeah. but because of the bioluminescent effect that's mostly how you see her mm -hmm. in the movie so i do find it fun and interesting that the toy line is like the the natural color yeah. like with all all that stuff because i believe they're going to release there are mothra to uh, toy releases where it's going to be the bioluminescent one but i like that aspect about it mm -hmm. and it's always that fun thing about like toys and yeah. you know with like all the chatter about Star Wars and everything. It's always fun. Just that whole history with toys kind of like adding to the, that kind of like that headcanon and that lore just within like the, just within all the merchandise. So um, I was happy with how those turned out. But yeah, that was kind of um, the, uh, the Godzilla related haul this year did did you get any yes bond well, related uh, it's very small but i i was able to g receive and uh, pick up two more bond records mm -hmm. uh i got goldfinger cool um, the old the original record and i also got a recent re-release of uh diamonds are forever from mm -hmm. my good friend Allie, who i don't know listens to the podcast but if she does thank you 
Um, but yeah, that was pretty much it. So now you can l- listen to the two of those songs. Yes. So now on I on vinyl and the scores and the scores. John Barry yeah. is a good score person. That's you, true. You liked the score to the Black Hole. That is true. I did. I did like the Black Hole score. John yeah. John Barry. John Barry. Uh, good, so I have four. Dude. Bond records now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it was interesting because Nick and I, you know, now since we're into vinyl and record, well, I, and everything, I, I did get Will into vinyl. Y- you, you, you helped water the seed yeah. that was already there. Yeah, I, sh- you, I should you, you say. Kinda, I kind of was like the last <laughs> little step forward for you, you. Yeah, you pushed me off the cliff, definitely into a pile of vinyls. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it was interesting because we when I, I, I believe I was looking, uh, it was a gift for you, and I actually was not sure. How many of the the Bond stuff that you have? Because so that makes in total how many Bond records? I have four. So I have, have Goldfinger, mm-hmm. Diamonds Are Forever, yeah, uh, For Your Eyes Only, and The Living Daylights. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's and I'm probably gonna pick up at some point the ones I'm <laughs> wanting most next mm-hmm. are Spy Who Loved Me for sure. Yeah. Um, probably Moonraker and um, Honor Majesty Secret Service. Those yeah. are like the ones the records I really do want. Speaking of music and because this is a bond episode that we're starting off this new year with is Hans Zimmer doing bond I feel like I've, I I feel like that's a headline that I've seen but I feel like since I haven't seen more of it it's not true I do not know and is like Hans Zimmer is he retired is he not really <laughs> I think he's just doing what he wants to do right yeah you know he's doing his like orchestral rock concerts in Prague and whatever whatever yeah. there was, which, Getting, yeah, yeah. I, I believe uh, yeah. was also a vinyl that we saw when we were out the other day. Fascinating. Yes. Okay. So he, in classic Hans Zimmer fashion, yeah. he took over for someone who left at the last minute. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very like a Hans Zimmer move. Yeah. He uh-huh. tends to do that. Yeah. He tends to be the guy who's like, if you can't find someone, <laughs> like, it's just like, we got dropped out. Han, do you want to do it? Sure. I'll probably yeah. reuse a little bit of my Batman score. Do, do you know, <laughs> do you know those little, uh, what is it? Is it Variety that does like the whole, like, oh, the career of this actor, this person? And is it, oh, is it or like is that G- Vanity Fair? Vanity Fair, like Vanity Fair GQ. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they, there's a multiple types of those videos. Yeah. The the one for Hans Zimmer is really funny because it's just a series of movies where he's like, I thought it sounded stupid and I didn't really want to do it, but then I did it and it kind of ended up not being that stupid. Yeah. Like that's like three different stories mm-hmm. in a row. Yeah. For for him. So anyway, so I'm getting off track. But uh but, but yes, yes. Is, yeah. ha- but uh so that was the holidays and then happy new year, Nick. Yes. Happy um, New Year as well. You know, I was thinking because I've been interested in for the upcoming New Year's to do this whole like you watch a movie and then something happens on New Year's like you 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 time it up you time yeah did you time something no up? no I didn't this year but I I'm been because like less and less do I want to or is it more and more more and more I want to do yeah. less more and more I don't want to do anything right on New yes. Year's yeah more and more you want to yeah more and more you want to do less and less exactly so. Like, I've been, like, thinking, like, you know, like, the classic one, when I heard this, was, like, oh, like, uh, the Death Star in A New Hope blows right. up, like, yeah. at, at midnight. The big um, one this year was, like, Avengers Assemble and yeah. Endgame yeah. was one. Um, so, is there one for Bond and Godzilla? And, and Godzilla? Like, uh, yeah, uh, for Bond, I think there would be a couple that I could imagine. 
Um, let me think. Because the thing about Bond is that like there are so many different moments. Yeah, you could. I don't. Even though I don't love the movie, what would make the movie worth it is if you watch Casino Royale, and then it gets all the way up into the end. And he says Bond, James Bond, and then the music sting happens. Yeah. And if that happens at midnight, mm-hmm. that would kind of that that would be worth it. Yeah, I think I would. Um... I mean, it would just depend on what your personal preferences yeah. are. Like it would, you know, if you make it the more memey you make it. Yeah, because like it could be something where it just could be something as simple as it be just like something in Goldfinger or something like. No, Mr. Bond, like an iconic line or something like that, or yeah. James Bond. James Bond. Yeah, I'm like trying it. to, I'm trying to the think about, of like the, what it could be. The thing be. about the thing about Bond though is just like there are so many of the movies that you would have to like just pick like a favorite and like time it up yourself because there's not really one. Like you could maybe do like, uh, when um, oh, uh, you could do when uh, uh. Oh, uh, I was just thinking of that. What was it? When he uses, uh, when the woman blows up in Never Say Never Again, that would be fun. And she just yes, explodes. That would be fun. That would be fun. That would be a good one. That would be a good one to match up. I like that one. I another good one would be first blood of the torso wins for us. It'd just be like as soon as like that happens. Is like, it like right as like like when does he say it though? I know. Like at, like I is, it like yeah, is it like when he says it yeah. or well that's, I, that's the thing the timing. It's like you need like the big moment. I say leading right up to the slide whistle car. Yeah, like okay, it's like slide... three, two, one. Ooh. <laughs> that would be. Good. But then you have to watch the movie with yeah. uh, Pepper. Uh, you know. Yeah, but see, again, it would make it worth it if yeah. I knew I was le- leading up to that. Yeah. The Godzilla one, I feel like the legendary movies are a little bit easier yeah. for They're, that. Yeah. Like, if you did the breath down the Mudo, Mudo's head, mm-hmm. the thing. But the thing is, like, King of the Monsters is more of a New Year. Like, it, it's more like you're celebrating New Year's, and it's a little bit more fun. It's a yeah. little bit more lively. So, probably... Um, there's a couple things like that that big Oh, I don't that one that movie has a couple of them. The ultimate one is the final roar at yeah. the end. Yeah. And then like when it goes to King of the Monsters, that's mm-hmm. when it's mm-hmm. like, oh, th- yeah. Or no, you you know, you got a 3 2 1 and then build up to the roar. Yeah. And then that's that's when it would be. Yeah. I think that that may be mm-hmm. that may be good. Um 3 2 1 when he blows up the bomb. Because it's like, yeah, because you're kind of bringing in a new year, and yeah. it's like the rebirth of of Godzilla. And but you have too much three, movie left at three, that two, point. Three, two, one. When Ichiro fully yeah. embraces his bully side. Yeah. <laughs> three, two, one. He pushes the painter yes. off the ladder. <laughs> what are we talking about today? We're talking about uh, a '60s uh, Bond answer slash Bond parody. Uh, a movie that uh, I had no knowledge about other than it's starring of James Coburn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Our Man Flint. So um, so basically for this episode, um, we're going – straight up, it's – Our Man Flint's not one of those movies that there's a lot of like production information out on. Um, there are a little a couple of tidbits here and there. We'll talk about James Coburn a little bit as well, uh, where he was in his career at this point. But – I thought it would be fun to do a brief discussion on uh, a brief little mini deep dive, if you will. Uh, maybe not a deep dive for a whole episode, but like you know, it works for this. Of uh, kind of other Bond parodies or, or Bond answers from that time period. Maybe things that we won't have an opportunity to take a look 
in more depth about, but things that like the the thing about the Bond parodies or Bond answers or whatever you want to call them, there's kind of a mixture of the two, is that there's really not a ton of them. And at least especially for as long as Bond has been running, you know, really like, you know, the main ones that come up all the time are Casino Royale 67 and Austin Powers. Those are the really two that really like people talk about when it comes to Bond. And mm. otherwise, there's a lot of other obscure ones or ones that don't really stand the test of time. Um, but I do, I did find in kind of looking this up that there's a lot of more weird little facts about these movies. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of do a brief discussion on kind of other films that are in the realm of the film we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Because this movie, which again, I, I, like you, I, I know knowledge of this movie other than kind of hearing about the title yeah. of it like so when i i've heard of the title knew and, nothing you know, about it we were at um we were looking at records the other week and we actually saw the uh, album for this uh among the records as right. well so it, it's a special i was gonna actually save this part of it for the actual discussion of the episode but i do wanted to bring this up because it may kind of lead into the broader discussion of movies like this that the best part about getting into the ancillary material or the extra material when it comes to Bond is finding all of these movies that, and not really for better or for worse, is just kind of a matter of fact, movies that I just can't imagine being made in any context yeah. today. Yes. Um, Darby O'Gill was one of those movies. Um, do we have another movie like you that? You kind of said that, like, not that they wouldn't make it, but, like, you don't see movies like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, like, like you wouldn't really see a movie. And this was another movie that you really wouldn't see anybody make this type of movie because right. there's really no attempt to get you engaged into any sort of plot or characters. Right. Um, but there are characters and there are personalities. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really being said about it other than it's saying stuff in the in in terms of a in a pastiche way almost mm-hmm. um but but there's good production values in it like there's definitely effort put into it so yeah. ba- bottom line before i get too deep into that it did bring up like this is the type of movie because you saw and i'm sure you may point out other types of movies like this but there were a ton of movies like this of like this era. Oh yeah, like this. Uh, I I mean, we'll get this movie that like sick. If there was like another, there was a couple other types of podcasts that I've been thinking about, and one of them would be to find like these kind of weirdo '60s cinema, mm-hmm. like these '60s comedy, like '60s comedies, because it very much is a completely different world of of film. And like again, just imagining kind of these types of movies being made now like the most you could do is like a weird little side thing that like netflix just drops that like is like kind of a parody of like mission impossible sure but like even that would be so different and a little bit probably a little bit more just on modern comedy side a little bit more on that kind of austin powers or scary movie type way just just the type of movie that this would become in you know this modern age it's just it's a movie that just kind of like executes in the most purest of let's just kind of make this and have fun yes. with it. And there's no other like agenda to it. And I'm sure like not not to say it's completely devoid of value, but it really is just like an execution of let's just have fun with like, you know, and making like this like kind of like silly, silly thing. And uh um 
And and I I don't even know if it's like comparable to a Batman. It's more in the lane of like the '60s Batman. But even like the '60s Batman, I think mm-hmm. kind of knew what it was doing. Like I think it did. I I'm of the belief that that was a show that was actually uh, very creative in taking like these steps to being extremely clever. And uh, this is just functional fun cleverness. But anyway, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. So what? Am am I kind of like? Are you kind of like picking up what no, I'm putting no, down? I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just one of the, one of the themes of looking at these other movies mm-hmm. is that a lot of these come from very wild worlds. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these, because again, like it really up until like Austin Powers, you really never had like a straight up like we're gonna do this kind of spy thing. It was either kind of ancillary spy stuff mm-hmm. or it was from all these kind of weird and wild filmic worlds because just to get into it, just to start. Yeah. Majority of the bond parodies or bond pastiches that you will find, especially from the early bond era is from the wonderful world of Italian cinema. Mm. Um, so if, if, if people in uh, listening have seen once upon a time in Hollywood yet yeah, in uh, towards the end of the movie, we get to this point where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes to Italy to make Westerns. And at one point, the last film that he makes in Italy is this kind of spy movie. And that's the type of things like outside of the Westerns that Italians were very much known for. And it's kind of a term known as Euro spy, mm-hmm. which are taking these Italian films that just like how the Italian Westerns took elements of the American Westerns and kind of did in kind of insane, interesting things with them kind of made them their own the spaghetti Western as it's known. Um, same thing with the Euro spy. It basically took the conventions of what bond was laying down mm-hmm. and, and kind of did their own thing with it. Very common thematic as well around a lot of these types of movies is they either, most of them involve 007 himself dying at the beginning of the movie. Right. There, again, once again, being cheeky with it, there's always a cheeky reference to yeah. the the real guy or the the real legend himself. Yes. Yeah, so it's like you have like you have just Italian films like uh, 008 Operation Exterminate, which had a, a female agent taking over Bond's position, as well as dub, Agent uh, 077 Mission Bloody Mary and a sequel from the Orient with Fury, uh, which are both Italian-made cinema films, very, very similar. Um, Most notably from this era of Italian cinema. So these are all, basically the Bond parodies begin right around Goldfinger's release. So you've had Dr. No and From Russia With Love, and we talked about it way in the early part of the podcast, whereas Dr. No was kind of this movie that was like, okay, yeah, no, this is pretty cool. Like, From Russia With Love was kind of the real, like, okay, this is going to be a thing. And then eventually that year in 1964, Goldfinger would be like the biggest box office, you know, smash hit for this franchise. And basically around it's like, yeah, we're here to stay. Right. But from Russia with love was really when everybody started to pay attention as like, this could be kind of its own subgenre, really. Um, so, so those first couples are from right from like 1964, 65, but the most notable of these early Italian films is called two mafiosi against Goldfinger, which was renamed Gold Ginger because Eon <laughs> threatened a lawsuit. But basically, it's basically they take the character of Goldfinger mm-hmm. and have him kill Bond. And then it's kind of the exploits of these two Italian uh, photographers mm-hmm. who have to take out Goldfinger uh, right. basically through accident. And it, it, that movie particularly does 
parody Goldfinger. There's a scene where um, Goldfinger is doing the classic laser uh, laser death thing uh, to these two photographers and they convince him to stop because well if they split them each into two they would have to bury them all separately and it mm-hmm. would be a very costly that's that kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Movie. Um, but basically that's kind of where that kind of comes in uh so there's a lot of kind of similar stuff happening with there but a, a lot of it comes in there's also a couple french movies uh that happened during that time as well very similar style uh over in the uh Europe, uh, in terms of Britain and America, there's a couple of few things. I mean, the very earliest one that features Bond is a movie called Hot Enough for June, which is renamed Agent uh, 8 and 3 fourths in the United States, <laughs> uh-huh. which is basically, again, movie starts with James Bond being killed and then the MI6 tricking a British writer to basically carry out Bond's mission for them. Got it. Uh, and just kind of like he has to, he, he basically doesn't know he's James Bond and the rest of the spy world know, thinks he's the new James Bond. Right. Um, as well as the uh, long-standing British... So, co- wait, that's the plot of Cars 2. You're not wrong. <laughs> Um, so this is kind of Britain, and then also in Britain, same year, 1964, mm-hmm. uh, the long-running um, carry-on comedy series. This was a series of British comedies that took a lot of inspiration from the classic British music halls and kind of that kind of vaudeville style. There was just a very much a series of movies where they'd be like, carry-on sergeant. It would be about military comedy and carry-on nurse. It would take place in a hospital or mm-hmm. carry-on teacher. It was just like all of that stuff. So their ninth film... Uh, was the carry on spying, and it was basically again about the exploits of James Bind, Agent Double O Six and a Half, mm-hmm. uh, who then becomes Charles Bind, Agent Triple O O. Okay, so, uh, but that's basically it. Now we also have in that same period a uh, American uh, parody called Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. <laughs> so. Um, this will be another kind of interesting little, again, the wild world others to talk about. So you talked about the wild world of Italian cinema. This comes from the wild world of the beach movie. Okay. Um, there was a company known as AIP whose whole thing was making the beach party movies. And basically, it was one of those things where they basically remade that same movie over and over again, maybe adding a little bit, oh, here's the one with the more musical, here's one that's kind of a monster in it, you know, kind of thing. But it was basically like... They had like their beach party team, like they had Frankie Avalon and at Funicello, all that sort of stuff. Now, uh, that same company, API or AIP, excuse me, also did a series of kind of Edgar Allan Poe's type of stories, kind of horror types of things. So, Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine is a mixture of those two. It features Vincent Price mm-hmm. as Doctor Goldfoot, who is a mixture of Goldfinger and Doctor No. And his whole purpose is to create these bikini-clad robots that are going to take over the world. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And then he's stopped, of course, by a bunch of beach party goers <laughs> who are having a wonderful time. Uh, and then it kind of, you know, weaves in the Bond parody stuff into a beach party movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most fun fact about that movie is that they um, originally it was written as a musical because a lot of these beach party films were as a musical. And allegedly, Vincent Price himself had a song about, in the original script, his sex machine. 
mm-hmm. um, but which become the Bikini Machine. But they're basically another rewrite just made it made it more Bond parody ish, and the songs kind of disappeared. And Vincent Price actually said that it was one of the greatest disappointments of his career, which he didn't get to sing in Doctor Goldfoot. <laughs> Vincent Price, have you ever heard a Vincent Price interview? Um, like, is there a, like a famous one? No, or, it's just like any just time, like any time any, interview. Any, any year review with him. Because I, I, you know, I'm not up to I'm not up to snuff on my my price. Now, if, I, if I'm Vincent being honest. Price is the type of guy who just loved making movies, right? Like, and it's just like it's just so like you get stuff like that, and him even talking about one of his later roles was Great Mouse Detective, and he was talking about how Radican was just one of the most fun he ever had, mm. and he, like he wished he had done more voice acting because it's just like allowed him to just kind of do crazy things he's in the uh there's an episode of the tonight show with johnny carson in like the 70s uh where the muppets host because carson was on vacation Mm -hmm. and vincent price is a guest on that episode Mm -hmm. and him just talking about doing horror movies like is the most casual way like there's a lot of blood a lot of murder you know it's like that that's like he just enjoys it right right but it was just kind of fun now what's kind of crazy is that there was a sequel to dr goldfoot and the bikini machine called Dr. Goldfoot and the girl bombs, mm-hmm. which was a crossover with the previous bond parody two mafia C against <laughs> Goldginger because uh-huh. uh, AIP, in addition to doing their beach party films and their uh, Edgar Allan Poe type of movies mm-hmm. would also bring out Italian cinema uh, and kind of redub it. So the team that was behind the two mafiosi movie wanted to make a sequel, and API said, we'll fund it if you also make it a sequel to our Dr. Goldfoot movie. So basically, it, they take the Vincent Price character and push him up against those two Italian photographers and make a crossover Bond parody, which is... Again. The wild worlds combined. Uh, again, it's one of these things where when people talk about cinema and what cinema should be, and we have to get back to cinema, this is... What we want, like this, it just reminds me of if this attitude was just given to Men in Black and twenty in uh Twenty One Jump Street, and then they were just that game about it. We could have had that. Yeah, we could have. This had was that. back in the day where it's just like, all right, well, you got to cross it over if we want to do it. Yeah. Done. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah. We need more of that. Right. <laughs> now again, there's a there's a couple other Italian ones that come out in the period, but the next very notable um, Bond parody film is called OK Connery. Mm-hmm. From 1967. The film is also known as Operation Kid Brother or Operation 007. Double mm-hmm. 007. The whole gimmick about OK Connery is that these film producers got Sean Connery's younger brother, Neil. <laughs> a gentleman who has never acted before in his life. Who, again, within the context of the movie, takes over for James Bond's role. So James Bond 007 is killed in action. Neil Connery is a doctor who is found by the government to have, um, yeah, the skills necessary to pull on the next mission, which the other thing about that movie. So, okay. Connery, of course, Neil Connery never acted before only does another movie or two after this, not, he just basically was like, okay, well, they're going to pay me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm Connery, so why not? Right. The other notable thing about OK Connery is that it features a few actors who were in Bond movies. And I'm not talking about, like, oh, bit parts. The movie stars, besides Neil Connery, it stars Lois Maxwell <laughs> as 
and uh, Bernard Lee uh-huh. while they were still in the Eon movies. <laughs> this is not like, you know, this is not like a thing where like, oh, this is like Lois Maxwell is like leaves and then like, oh, like she's going to be the role. No, this comes out 1967, the same year as um, You Only Live Twice. Right. So it's like crazy right because he's and it is like this is a significant role the whole most maxwell plays miss maxwell which mm-hmm. is eventually a money penny type person who has to go out and find 007's girlfriend to like get information and right. that's, when he, that's when she finds neil connery mm-hmm. in there so just as a so this movie actually it's also an italian production which is not a surprise um and also features Adolfo Cili, who ju- just played the villain of Thunderball as well, who was an Italian actor. And you'll like this. The main plot of the villains of OK Connery mm-hmm. is to set off an electromagnetic pulse. Oh, God. Um, and uh, OK Connery was eventually featured on early seasons of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, that's fun. So um, that's 1967, OK Connery. And I do want to mention that there's another movie that both Lois Maxwell and Bernard Lee do, a Bond parody that they do during their time at Eon, and that is 1975's From Hong Kong with Love, which was a French film, um, which not only featured um, both Lois Maxwell and Bernard Lee, uh, and that movie a little bit more deliberately playing M and Money Penny. Uh, it also features Clifton James, mm-hmm. uh, our old... Uh, Sheriff Pepper and uh, Mickey Rooney as well is in that movie. So again, a French production. Um, so there's that. We also have another one I wanted to mention from another Wild World, the Wild World of Hong Kong cinema, Mm -hmm. of course. Uh, So this is not a direct parody of Bond. Um, This is one of those movies where a Bond character is mentioned in the movie. Um, so this is the Dragon Lives Again. Which is about a undead Bruce Lee, <laughs> not played by Bruce Lee because he was dead at this point. Right, you're right. Um, facing off, coming back to life, and facing off against many, many, many pop culture icons, <laughs> <laughs> including uh-huh. this is a full list. So James Bond is one of the people he fights, of course. But not only does does this undead Bruce Lee play uh, fight James Bond. He also encounters Dracula, mm-hmm. Popeye, Clint Eastwood, The Godfather, mm-hmm. The Exorcist, and saw 1970s soft porn character Emmanuel. <laughs> Fun. So, well, ye- and the film begins with the announcement: this film is dedicated to the millions who love Bruce Lee. <laughs> Uh, it's like it, it reminds me of that. What's it called? That remember that internet sensation, ultimate battles. Oh, of, ultimate battle of ultimate yeah, of history or or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, so other than that, like that's really the main kind of really interesting ones. Of course, you can get into some more modern uh, ones as well. There's you know uh, Leslie Nielsen film Spy Hard, which takes a lot from kind of the Bond films. Mm-hmm. You have of course um the johnny english series mm-hmm. uh with rowan atkinson you have uh looney tunes back in action yeah, yes you do yeah uh, yeah that's a which good is very directly uh timothy dalton returning to a james bond type of role um and yeah that's basically it i mean uh, another another good example of this is uh undercover brother is a uh, mm-hmm. is another one where 
you know, it's kind of, you know, making fun of that entire world uh, mm-hmm. of James Bond. That that one's a little bit more of a direct, like, this is. But not really, though, because it's interesting with some of these parodies that the characterization of Bond and versus some of these characters is slightly different than what they end up doing with, like, a character like Austin Powers or Undercover Brother where they make these elaborate characters so it's interesting that they insert that into some of these parodies. Like, including our movie today, where they take the effort to make the central character such a personality yeah. and, like, oh, like, kind of a superhero in some ways, when that is not really Bond. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, like, I will say, last thing I'll say here, I did, there was one I almost skipped over, mm-hmm. but I can't now that I've seen what this is. Uh, 1986, mm-hmm. there's a Hungarian animated comedy called Cat City, mm-hmm. which basically is a Bond movie where the Bond is a mouse, mm-hmm. and Blofeld is the white cat. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking at this. Like, this is a, um, it was actually the Hungarian entry for Best Foreign Language Film at the 59th Academy oh. Awards, but did not get nominated. That's interesting. And um, starts with a Star Wars-style text scroll. <laughs> Can I read this? Yeah. In the year... Uh, in the year 80 a.m. Anno Mickey Mouse, the year of our Lord Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. uh, the mice of Planet X are threatened by humiliation and oh total apocalypse. The well-organized, fully-equipped gains of evil cats are aiming to wipe out the mouse civilization totally, not caring for the old conventions between mice and cats. But in the last moment when the mouse leaders are beginning to consider leaving the planet, a new hope arises, in which case our James Bond mouse comes in to save the day. We have to seek this movie out now. I think I think we do. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to figure out what this movie is. Um, but... With that, that's kind of mainly, again, all the, the wild worlds, but let's get into our wild world of Our Man Flint from 1966. So Our Man Flint um, was just mainly a movie that was conceived as two things. It was going to be a an American answer to James Bond as well as a slight parody right. of the Bond films. The uh, production company, uh, 20th Century Fox, is in uh, control of the script on this one. And it basically comes to the point where Fox says, we can make this kind of weird movie, you know, the 60s, you know, get into the 60s. If it succeeds, we could basically make it our own little mini Bond thing, you know, with a kind of minor, smaller budget. But we can kind of make more movies out of this. If it's not, then this is just a thing we make, which is kind of you know what, mm-hmm. it, what it was um the movie uh basically just comes together as just one of those types of movies that just like we're making it mm-hmm. it's happening not too much of a production much, history but, to it um the notable the most notable thing is we have our two leads i feel like are the most notable thing and that's for of course we have our Derek flint in james coburn now james coburn is one of those like actors that's kind of like in a lot and the thing about Coburn was this is kind of early career Coburn um he had begun you know fully uh, acting in the early 60s had had small parts in western television shows and um 
I kind of know his early career most from a charade with uh, Audrey Hepburn and uh, Cary Grant, which is kind of a hit. Like as I described, uh, as I saw it described, the Batch Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made, kind of a wild, kind of crazy, kind of Hitchcock style comedy. Um, he had gotten his big break in 1963 with a role in the the original Magnificent Seven, but uh, this would be his first leading role, and he. Just like Vincent Price, actually, Coburn was someone who seemed to just like to act, and he would basically go into any project full force. Because um, the thing about Coburn as an actor is that he's very much someone who goes between being in like these prestige films, sort of like The Great Escape and and stuff like that, um, and also doing kind of sillier roles or more B movies, which is kind of all my my perception was him. Mm-hmm. He was always kind of like kind of the the West the guy cool gritty western guy mm-hmm. um and kind of more like actually like kind of the weirdo like 70s action cinema is where i most know coburn probably from or at least my mental image of him so seeing him kind of in this type of role is very interesting one thing to note about coburn is that in the movie there's a moment where Derek flint is kind of meditating and the way he meditates is he rests his head on one chair his feet on another he's basically kind of like levitating himself quote unquote kind of right. just, the rest of his body is hanging out that's actually something that Coburn would do to prepare for the day. <laughs> like he would just kind of sit like that and, and kind of like know his lines and stuff like that. And so when the director saw that, he said, we have to add that as, as a trait for Flint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our other major role is Lee J. Cobb as basically um, Cramden, which is essentially Flint's M in this movie. Uh, Lee is probably most known for his dramatic work. Uh, like on the waterfront, twelve angry men, and and later in the seventies, The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was one of his uh, stabs at comedy, and he was just looking for something a little bit different mm. to to do here. Um, yeah, but that's that's I mean that's the thing. That's why I wanted to go into this other stuff because otherwise it's basically like the um, the movie was basically meant to be both a parody and a new franchise opportunity. It was basically mm, meant, meant to be like, we're going to make fun of bond. You know, we'll, we'll use that element as kind of a means to get people into theater, but we're creating this character in Derek Flint to potentially be someone we can return to. Now, the one thing I will say before we kind of move forward into it, just because it may fit in now that we've talked about our lead in Coburn mm-hmm. An interesting lead because I I had no familiarity with yeah. him. I didn't have a a, a, I don't, a face to place. My, yeah, my thing with Coburn, like I said, it's like I kind of know. I kind of had a reputation for him in my head, just mm-hmm. like knowing, like I've you know some of those old like internet review shows I did would like do like kind of those old weird action movies. I've seen Serenade, which is a very good movie, very underrated film if people haven't seen it. And he's very fun as just a very small supporting role mm-hmm. in that movie, kind of one of the supporting antagonist type of characters. But it is very interesting to kind of really see because I don't know if I've really seen him ever in his like leading work. Well, like his like kind of peak era the, of like the mid '60s into '70s. Wait, and this this uh, the year of this movie was what again? 1966. So it's between in our Bond world. It's between Thunderball and uh, You Only Live Twice. The '60s had a very interesting uh, view of what a charming leading man looks like mm-hmm. is what I find. Yeah. Because 
Because that was the interesting thing. It was almost like when he showed up in the movie. Again, I don't know this actor at all. So when he showed up in the movie, I was almost taken aback that this was essentially our, for the sake of the story, our American James Bond. Like, Mm -hmm. this was going to be, like, I I thought that... In fact, I thought it was almost going to that that was like going to be one of our villains when we when we first saw him and just because knowing the tropes of 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 uh, of James Bond in general. Mm-hmm. So it almost speaks a little bit to the Americanization of the movie and like this this was going to be like the American James Bond because it's just you can see this movie if you made a movie like this now and what your leading man like this would be and it wouldn't be this because at the time he must have been like how old was he like at the time i can double check like but he's older though right a little bit yeah like not too much he's not a young guy but i guess like when you look at all the james bond movies um yeah you know and i guess the james bond movies have never casted like really all that young no not even like honestly like Craig is the young Bond, right. and even that he wasn't like that young. But there, there is something about like there is a bit. He of, was thirty eight. He was th- okay. So like right before forty. He doesn't look thirty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. No, Coburn. but that's the thing about Coburn. You don't, you don't look that Coburn really always had that kind of grizzled veteran. Yeah, look he to kind him. of, and he always he almost looks like he's starting to gray a little bit yeah. in, in the movie. But it is interesting that you know that that's how they viewed the leading man in this way. And I mean, if you look at other leads, like if you uh, like, f- kind of like, I mean. Like uh, Adam West also kind of has more of that old soul, right? Like uh, and he was type. almost the Bond, to be quite honest. Yeah, so it's like interesting that that was like kind of like your standard leading man. And I, uh, what, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think is in? What, what what's what's that about? Well, see, like like because if you think about the other like leading men of the era, like outside of like you know Coburn, which is this is the beginning of his leading man career, yeah, and obviously Connery. You're thinking of like the Steve McQueens and like those types right. of people. Like, so that's kind of more in that traditional realm. And like, because Coburn made a couple films with McQueen, mm-hmm. and like, Coburn still gets lumped into that. And I wonder if he's kind of like, is he constantly mad if he grows more into that realm? But it's definitely a little bit more taken aback when you view the type of character he's playing in this movie. Because the other thing about Coburn is it's not only that I have that kind of that kind of weird action movie version of him in my head. I he's always been that kind of grizzled person, right? You know, he's right. like like again. When I think about him in like Great Escape in the westerns, and even in Charade, where he's kind of a, playing this guy Tex, who's basically just kind of this con man Texan. And I kind of always have that perception of him. So seeing him kind of play himself a little bit more lighter, mm-hmm. it's definitely not the type of role that I imagine Coburn in. Yeah. So it's kind of was interesting to kind of see that. Mm. Yeah, it's just like you. you th- maybe it's this role. Maybe it's this type of spy role. Like, what is it about the spy role that bring that calls for a more old soul type? Yeah, character because it, 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 it is, is kind it, of more. It, it, no, it is interesting. It's a very interesting point to bring up. And, and the implications of like the character itself being like always surrounded by women, whether you like it or not, is the, like kind of. We'll like talk this, about that when we get to the right, movie. But... but it is a very like there is a sense of it's a character that is. You know, there's a seasoned, yes, been about the world, and very there's that, patriarchal, there's that kinda, like the old, the old soul calmness, yeah. You know? Like, because Connery, Connery also has that a little bit with, with, and what they kind of share is like that sense of like he's been around the block, he knows what he's doing, he's, 
He's cool, calm, collected. He's he's got a quip. He's got a, he's got a line ready for you to melt like the melt your soul essentially, yeah. melt your heart. And that's kind of what it, it kind of feels like that you need like it feels like these spy films like think that you need that legacy, that history, that background, that's that thing that makes you seem like you know what you're doing. Because the other thing about it and we'll talk about more of the movie, but also like what the Connery Bond and what Flint share and I think what kind of Flint almost parodies most about Bond is that kind of knowledge, that kind of the thing that's like he's smarter than everybody in the room because he's looking at it a different way. Right. He has a different knowledge set. And there's that kind of, yeah, right, that old soul nature of it where it's like, well, of course, because he's been, you know, he's like a legend. Like mm-hmm. that's that kind of legendary status that that character obtains. You know what? This is actually brings up a thing that now I feel like what makes the best Bond actors work. All the best Bond actors work, you can see as your uncle or your grandpa. Like I could see, like, cause, like, you saw was it uh, Pierce at the uh, at the at Golden the Golden Globes, Globes? Yeah. Snowpiercer? You you saw him yeah. like with yeah. his all great, like he's like, oh yeah, maybe that's why he worked as Bond, and yeah. Timothy Dalton works as Bond, and it comes back to the thing that's why Craig doesn't work as Bond, cause I cannot see him being my grandfather. <laughs> like, you need to see Knives Out. He's a, no, yeah. I mean, but but again, yeah. I've always go back to that's the type of role Craig that, excels that, at, that yeah. it, Craig excels at, but. It's like Craig, when you look at like these spy roles, like yeah. he like he you don't buy him being an old soul and he's also not young enough to be like exuberant. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it doesn't This is work. actually a really good theory because when you go through all the bonds, right. like there's this weird kind of like older patriarchal feel to that. Like, and Lazenby is fine, but it's of, why like, he doesn't and like, stand like, out. Like, like and of course Roger Moore would, yeah. be, <laughs> would be the coolest uncle of all time. He he'd be like, you know, he'd he'd ha- he'd always like be giving you like Roger Moore would always be giving you gifts and like money mm-hmm. and like playing like jokes on like like your sister or something. Like he'd be the coolest uncle ever. And and, and I should and to bring it back to this movie, and I, I don't mean it in a way to as a knock on Coburn, and I think it actually what leads into uh, why I think he works in, in the movie as as we move into it is because yeah. uh, he does nail that kind of charming patriarchal kind of like uncle uh, uh, vibe and it not come off as uh, yeah. taxing. It, it, it just works. So it, it's just something interesting I noticed when watching it and really took me aback leading into it. Couple last things before we get into the movie. Couple nice. few last things. Um, there's a our lead female role of, of Gillian Golan, and that was originally uh, pegged for a young Raquel Welch, um, <laughs> who uh, did not get the part. Um, also, future almost Bond James Brolin, uh, early in his career, has an extra role in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically is one of the uh, he's working on a submarine for the villains, and you can see him a couple times in the movie. And um, I just want to mention this now. I feel like it's, it's worth a mention now. This movie does feature a character named Hans Gruber. Yes, I noticed and, that. And as far as I can tell, the naming of Hans Gruber in Die Hard may have been a reference to this. To movie. this, okay, yeah. all right. May have been an intentional like taking. Like I like the name from this movie. Because I was like, it. either there's some connection or that's a wild coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, um, is that is that it? Should we just that, like, just let's that, just head into this thing? Oh, and the soundtrack features a uh, one of the first uh, film songs by Randy Newman. Oh, really? It was called Galaxy of Go Go. I don't know if it's extra featured in the movie or if it's oh, a soundtrack exclusive, but it was bonus Rand- track. Bonus track, but Randy Newman, a future extensive film uh, composer and songwriter, says 
early on in his career. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, all right. First movie of 2020. Let's, uh, let's, let's get into this. Let's get into our man, Flint. So why does that eagle attack me? He's been trained to recognize and attack Americans. Anti-American eagle. Diabolical. Back. We're back. Back. We're ready for. So we're still in 2020. Yes. It, it has not turned to 2021 just yet. We're yeah. still in 2020. We're ready to talk about this movie. Um. So I just want to go out uh, and say first of all that. Uh. Yes. Yeah, so the original plan was to do a uh, man from Uncle for this month. Um. And after, because we had done a couple of modern movies in a row kind of like 90s into yeah you yeah we like austin powers and um and then in retrospect it seemed almost too similar to go from because our last from fallout yeah to, and we still to the, i mean yeah. like the it i'll get into it now a man from uncle will be our next month's film because it is still is an ian fleming production and still is worthy of looking at and we're going to take a look at the modern film adaptation of it but i felt like we really started to talk 2020 with something a little different yeah. something that i wasn't really familiar with because i think I have been really enjoying just discovering films. And this comes from a lot from like doing like a, the Disney Plus thing, which is very much in a similar realm where you're kind of the Disney, the weird Disney years of the late 60s, early 70s. And you're watching this really things of these type of nature where it's like, oh, you can't believe this thing got made in this way or was this way. So I knew I wanted to do this movie for the podcast because it's the most notable and kind of most cult following of those kind of weird 60s Bond parodies or really any of the Bond parodies other than Austin Powers, maybe. This is usually kind of the most notable among kind of cinephiles. And just wanted to look at it, see what it was like, see what we could delve from it, um, especially in comparison to Casino Royale 67, which kind of is a similar idea. Um, and um, I'm glad I decided to choose this movie. I'm glad we decided to watch it because it's just another one of those movies that I can't wait to dig into and kind of sharing its weirdness the one thing i will say initially is like the 60s were wild mm -hmm. like just the things that they put in this movie that like rep represent the 60s or like the coolness and like you know the sexuality of that era and especially in conjunction to what we have seen in casino royale 67 it's just like nuts to me like that this is this is another kind of this was the 60s in for good or for bad and it's kind of wild to see that. I think the best part of my experience watching this that brought me nothing but joy was that when it was over and I found out that there was another one. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that, yeah. <laughs> I when you when when it was over and then you're like, "Oh, well, it's like you said something like, "Well, do you want to watch the sequel?" And I was like, "There's another one of these?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, listen. I I had a blast watching this. I I thought this was this was just delightful uh, of yeah. a, of a little of a and it was interesting now that you know we've kind of like just talked about kind of where it fits in to, in the legacy of, of Bond and um it was nice not knowing too much about it going in mm -hmm. um it being uh this and and again I think now that we've uh, hashed it out. It's less so of a parody and much more of a, it's just poking fun at the tropes. Yes. Uh, because it's yeah, very it's not, much yeah. its own thing. Yes. Because um, when you think about it, 
it's the perfect uh, example, I think, of if you were to do, especially in the 60s, an American uh like James Bond, yeah. Uh, in terms of like all the different types of like values and everything, or lack there of certain ones, and but it, it is just interesting the type of character that they even build up from. Like, if you compare like everything you know about James Bond and then compare it to this character, yes, uh, it's very much like. Again, you can't say too much else other than it's just the James Bond before America. But yeah. in in some ways, I find a lot of value in a movie like that because. It's not just taking all of the characterizations of James Bond and then putting it in an American setting. I have to give the movie credit where it did create a character of like, all right, what is James Bond and all the characteristics for, you know, MI6 and, you know, Britain and everything? What would be the American version of that? Right. And you could tell that they built a character from the ground up mm-hmm. to uh, based off of the that model. Yeah. and. And I would say that they they succeeded in at least creating a character like yeah, that. Yeah, and this was definitely... I would agree with you, just to get my thoughts. This was definitely an enjoyable watch. And again, just kind of relishing in just the type of movie it was mm-hmm. and kind of the era that came from and having that knowledge of kind of the Bond stuff. And, and just, again, it's like... I think you really hit it on the head earlier where it's just like you don't see movies like this. You know, and it's just like within our modern cinema landscape, but right. like it hasn't been that way for a long time. Like the that very specific like late sixties, early seventies style of filmmaking and studio filmmaking is super intriguing, and this is just a really good example of just kind of a wild type of movie that could just get made because right. it could. Well, it's just funny because it's like a movie like, and I think the reason I say this is because it's a movie with like really no drama right at any point. Mm-hmm. And the closest it gets is when he finds out that his girls have been kidnapped. <laughs> and even then it's played so briefly. Yeah. Like but there is some kind of like nuance may be giving it too much credit, but there there is some there is a decent flow of of plot at mm-hmm. times. Uh, that works, and there definitely is a, a like an earnestness enough to like danger, like it's Saturday morning cartoon earnestness. But um, so it functions all in that way, I, I, I think. Um, but the biggest thing I just want to get this out of the way about the movie is the production of the movie is insane. It is so impressive, and I think that's what brought me to the conclusion that you would never see a movie like this. Like, you would see maybe, like, skits, or you would see, like, uh, like very smaller productions that are right, essentially like I, like I said, like a smaller budget, like, Netflix, like, special that right. they, just, they just put out there. But this had, like, these al- beautiful, elaborate sets, like, that had moving parts to them. Like, d- just even, like, the first, like, part where it's, like, all, like, the 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 world government guys are all in a giant room, and they're like, let's go ask the computer, uh, which is funny to me. And then, like, the all the, w- the doors open up into this massive computer room. Yeah. And then, like, the ending, it being, like, this... The ending having like this giant drill thing, and and there was just some really decent production values to this that you would not see applied to a movie this frivolous. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that was like the biggest takeaway. Yeah. I know. It definitely like goes in on it. Yeah. Like it's not one of those things like it skimps. It 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 does what it does, and it 
and it, it, it does the tra- world traveling thing, and it, it has like, yeah, and it has just like different types of sets too. Mm-hmm. You have like kind of this grimy like you know French bar, and you have kind of the big island hideout and stuff like that, which is interesting too because again, just in the knowledge of Bond, it's like this comes out the year before uh, You Only Live Twice, which is where really the big huge set like thing comes from mm. obviously you had a little bit of stuff like it i think it would take from dr no and goldfinger specifically um so yeah we have our Derek flint character yes um, and the way that I, I, the introduction i think is really says a lot about the character so basically the the beginning of the movie is that their weather all over the world is going crazy you know one of those things where it's just like oh there's like the arctic is like melting at like a, a rate of uh, it's, the temperatures riding in the arctic to four degrees a day or right like, and like oh like these volcanoes are going off and there's rain you know like where there shouldn't be rain and it's crazy and basically they have they're like oh we have our best agent on it or our best agent instead now and what are we going to do so they they do they ask the computer mm-hmm. and the computer's like, who do, who's the best for the job? And the computer splits out to everybody, Derek Flint, Derek Flint, Derek mm-hmm. Flint. And then our our M character, Cramden, mm-hmm. it's basically- Who's like, great in the movie, by oh, the way. Oh, it, yes. He's so- That's how you do a frustrated like M yeah. type of character. It almost kind of makes me want that to be a new characterization of M yeah. for the new movies. Yes. I will, we'll talk about him a little bit more uh, in a second, but I want to kind of get to, to our, our, our man Flint. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then Cramdus is basically like, no, I worked with this guy in the war. He can't follow orders. This requires a job that follows orders. We need this guy. And then uh, a running gag of the, of the movie is that every time he's like upset about Flint, the president calls him. Right, right. And basically is like, you need to get Flint. And right. he's basically like, all right, well, I'm going to get Flint. Uh-huh. So then he shows up to Flint's apartment. And yes, so Derek Flint, played by James Coburn, mm-hmm. lives in this apartment with four women mm-hmm. who basically all nationalities all except nationalities. black yeah no black yeah there's, there's no black there's women a, but there's like asian hispanic like right yeah and, and and two white girls yeah uh and they basically are like up you know, whatever he needs you know they'll they'll shave his face he'll like you know get there and he's basically just kind of like an eccentric kind of cool weirdo he's like, like a playboy he's yeah, like you know, a, he's, 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 he's like a not gross hugh hefner this is, almost like, this is, in a way uh, so i want to say this is like the first thing where i'm like the 60s were wild where it's right. like you could just make a movie where a dude legitimately like almost has like a harem of women just living in his apartment right essentially, and just being like yeah no these are all my these are my girls they're here i'm i'm great and then like you know you know what i have to say it really even though like i i know this may sound silly but they really, in a weird, bear with me, they really tastefully dealt with the fact that he had a harem of women. Yes. Like, <laughs> like it never, made, it did not become gross. They were, they, they made it clear they were all there, like, like their free will. Yeah, they, they all wanted to be there. He all was genuinely like. He like, liked them all. He liked them all. Like, yeah. When he's about to like take the mission, he like talks to them all like. You know what? Like, if you're if you're gonna be okay, I'm gonna need you to like pick up this package for me. Is that gonna be fine? Like, he's basically like very concerned for right, them all. right. Which is in itself kind of gross because it is kind of like a like a like a paternal thing he's yeah. doing. But in the, in the same way, like it didn't turn me off of it. No, no, <laughs> it, it never got to the point where it got like weird. Like, right, it was right. weird. No, get me. Don't get me wrong. He had this harem of women, and it was weird at some point because he he basically acts like. 
like because then there's another part where they're at a dance and he like dances with all of them right and it's like kind of like are they in a polygamous thing is there like a thing going on here or is it like purely like they're just like kind of all friends but he's not down with them being hypnotized yeah hypnotized into having sex like that's how they you know that he's a good dude you're not (laughs) you are not a pleasure unit yeah (laughs) <laughs> um, but basically, and then like, you know, and then he, you know, Cramden's still like not really on board with this. And he's like, you know, he's trying to get like Flynn, to, uh, Flynn to like, listen to him. And there's like this whole thing where it's like, well, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I had to fly to Moscow. Why'd mm-hmm. you have to fly to Moscow? Like the, the ballet, you you went to Moscow to see the ballet? No, to teach. Like they're already like that. This- yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. So, because, so just talking about the character, you're right. Cause he is a character that they establish as like, all right, he is a man of the world. He can do anything. He knows everything. Yeah. They take the bond trope of bond, like knowing about alcohol yeah. and like double down on it being about everything. So, but I, I do want to talk about this notion of just the, him as a character. Yeah. And how he is an American answer to James Bond. Yes, I'm very interested to hear these, this this analysis. Because when you look at all the attributes of, of him, it, it, it truly makes sense. So right off the bat, he's a cowboy. He's like, he can't follow the rules. Right. He's a guy that like, you know. Cause, and very more explicitly, because Bond sometimes has that, but more explicitly it's like that's like his one of his defining qualities. That like the first thing you know about him is when Cramden's talking about him, he says, like, I need a guy who can follow orders. Right. This guy can't follow orders. And then, like, you know, James Bond never ultimately says it, but there is a, like, for queen and country type of yes. vibe about him. Yeah. And it's interesting that just for the entire, the the story at large and the character itself is automatically introduced as, not only does he not follow orders, but he's not going to answer the call. Right. He's not interested in working for the government. Like right. He, yeah. He basically says so the, and he, the only time he does is when his own life is threatened. Right. Like by the villains, of course. Um, and then also about that, uh, they make, and it's a fun joke about the whole trope about Bond, is like not only is he a man who can do anything, but he's much more comfortable being left to his own devices. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, there's a bit where they mockingly make fun of, like, all right, here's all your gadgets. It's a suitcase that does this and that. And then he's like, this is all just going to get in my way. And then they show that he can do things by basically MacGyvering uh, stuff. And and also to the point of the most absurd, maybe the most absurd part of the movie is when he defibrillates. Defib- defibrillates? Yeah. De- defibrillator. He, he, like, basically yeah. does he like defibrillates a-, a guy to back to life by putting a dude's hand in a socket of a of a lamp or yeah. like in like the, the light bulb socket yeah and then taking his other hand and pressing it on the guy that was a little that was a harder pill to swallow because yeah. that because nothing really like that kind of happens later yeah <laughs> uh but i guess there is uh, like hypnotism yeah. but um but but getting back to the point it is interesting that they there is this more like ah uh, this grassroots like MacGyver type mm-hmm. guy. It's like yeah, America, like you know, bring like a uh, like uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Like you make you make your own like your success and everything. So it's it's interesting that that's also in the DNA of the character as well. Yeah, no, it's very interesting, and I think like and and having Coburn play that type of role mm-hmm. is very interesting because. Like, Coburn has, like, that kind of smile and kind of that immediate, like, there's an immediate, like, confidence in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And the way he plays that confidence 
is what defines the character. It's right. like the very much defining element of the character is that it's just like the Bonds, but even again doubling down and making it more so is that that Flint is a man who is basically so confident mm-hmm. in his world and himself that he's gonna he's gonna prove to you that like his he's right in some ways. Like right. there's a whole like the whole thing is like he he walks out like after he gets his like assignment and he like rejects the briefcase basically just takes the gun and rejects the briefcase there's these two like soldiers hanging out of the off outside the office he immediately like not even like a look down like immediately starts punching them out right and like like basically killing them and then they're all like what are you doing you're under arrest you're beating up these aren't like these marines and he's like no sir they they have a oh that's another thing about like and now you can get into like however you feel about this american wise he just straight up murders people all the time. Like, because I'm so used to, I guess, like, in Bond, I guess he kills people, but there was just something about, like... Well, the thing about Bond he is... He killed that, people all the time. Yeah. Like, that was always his final move, no, Bond, was the, killing somebody. Yeah. Bond was a person who's, like, he'll kill somebody, but like, usually it's, like, coming in, like, a defense or, like very carefully chosen like you know he doesn't yeah. just go out and like no Derek flint was the type because bond would sometimes like maybe do a flip flip you across his like head yeah and then that would knock you out and then he would go on to the next guy yeah Derek flint karate chops you in the face to knock you out and then go gets a gun and then shoot your unconscious body <laughs> yeah yeah that, but, he, but he does like again he does this thing where he like immediately like so confident punches people out he's like yeah. what are you doing he's like well, these people were wearing a ribbon for the Battle of the Bulge. There was no ribbon for the Battle of the Bulge. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Or my favorite part of his very confident demeanor is, so basically, the, the thing that spurns him into actually trying to figure out what's going on with this, this, this weird weather and figuring out, like, how to save the world is that he's targeted at his, like, club. Like, he goes to this, like, dinner party club, and he's dancing with all his women. Right. And the, like, the bad guys, like, replace the harpist and, like, use a dart like in the harp and try to kill him but accidentally get like uh crammed in right which mm-hmm. again is another one of those like he does like crammed in basically like the dart's supposed to kill him and crammed is like oh and like the doctor said another four se- like if you hadn't like stopped the the poison from coming in another four seconds it would have been dead and he's like three you would have had you only had three seconds right and like, and, like of course flint knows exactly like Oh, like, no, because he, he's like, get me a candle. And he like, immediately starts, like, cauterizing it. And right, stuff like right. That. But anyways, so then they, like, he's like, well, did anything come back from the lab on that on that thing? And it has, like, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, it has the poison. And again, like, would have killed me in this time. But it also had these faint hints of, like, rosemary and, and, like, whatever, thyme and whatever it might be. Right. And he's immediately like, bouillabaisse. Yeah. And he's like, what was, what was, he's like, I forget what the term is, but he's basically like, what was the, like, order of that? Like, how, like, how much of each was there? Because... Mm-hmm. If this is one thing, there's this one place in France where they make bouillabaisse this specific way, and if it, if it's that, it has to be from here. Right. It's immediately like like even Bond's not going to be that right. confident in himself. Well, but that's another kind of like big the the final kind of character based American thing is just he knows everything. Yes. Like just and and and, and it's again, that like subconscious said- American attitude. Of that, this guy's the best at everything. Mm-hmm. Like he, he is, and and they make it seem like it's trained, and it's and it, to be fair, it's tastefully done to the way where it's easy to make a character like that and really like be like, oh my god, this is so masturbatory. But they they do find a, a, a charm in it. But that and, being and I said, think it's also the it does, performance of Coburn again, yes. like kind of again the way that he's so confident but coolly confident about right. it. Like when he's explaining the Booyah Bay's thing, it's like 
it's absurd. Yeah. And again, it's like what we talked, like we joked about those old Connery bonds where he was just like, know everything about alcohol. Yeah. It's like, it's like that on another level. But the way Coburn plays it, it's like, oh, of course. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's like there's kind of, but, and it's also the world of the movie, I think, as well. Like the, the, the tone that the movie establishes even pretty early sure, on. Sure. Like kind of helps that. Because I think a lot of times when you get into these type of parodies or comedies, you got to play carefully with like how you introduce the tone because mm. you, if you go one way too much or one way too little, it kind of, you know, it can go, you're doing too crazy and then you try to pull it back and this doesn't work or you go too little and then all of a sudden it ramps up right. randomly. And I think this movie does do a pretty good balance of like kind of putting in those little jokes and those little gags, even like the stuff like uh, stuff again with the running gag of the president calling uh, right. Camden where he like gets off the plane and there's a, there's a phone in the car and they take, it's like, like he said no. And then immediately like you can hear Oh, fine. And then like gets back on the right. plane. There's stuff like that. So I, the, and the one thing that really saved it for me was one of my favorite moments in the entire movie. And it's a character moment. And it goes back to that thing where to make a movie feel real, you litter little moments like this in the movie. And yeah. this was absolutely one of my favorites. There's a bit in the movie where there's a fly. They're in the office, and there's a fly like flying around the office. Yes. And then Flint's like, uh, like it's like, oh, start the timer. Yes, hey, take, yeah. take stopwatch. Like, yeah, you have a, do you have a stopwatch? Talk, start the timer. Yeah, start the timer. And then he like makes like a dart out of like a pen or yeah. something. Yeah. And then he kills the fly. Yeah. Right. And yeah. he, he like locates the fly, and then he kills him. And then he's like, what was my, th-? and then he's like, he turns back, it's supposed to be super impressive, and it is, and then he turns back, he's like, what was my time? And then, he, like, uh, he says something like, it's like three, three point five. Yeah, it was like three, like 3.5 seconds or something. And the look on Flint's face is so, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he's so, like... And like Crab is so confused, he's like well, three three point two two seconds. Yeah, it's and like it, this amazing feat, and like the look on his face is that he's so bummed that yeah. like that was his that was his time. So it was a like that was actually a really good humanizing yeah. moment in this like yeah. a completely absurd character. And I, I, I think, loved it. And we talk about performances, and I think like the real dynamic thing of the movie is I do think the two lead male performances are yeah ex- exceptional. Like. Well, I will say, Coburn just get, with what he's given with Flint is that character. Yeah, like he he makes that character, as you say, feel like this American Bond. He sells that sort of like he has those little moments, even like when he's when they're in the gritty Paris cafe and he's like hiding and stuff like that. It's just he feels like he's having fun mm-hmm. with what he's doing. But the Cramden character, I think, is also the other anchor of this movie. Oh, one hundred percent. And the performance is spectacular. Yeah. It's hysterical and. The arc of that character, because that's like the thing where it's like he's not for Flint, not for Flint. And then when you finally see him like caring for Flint or getting on board and at the end when he's like celebrating the victory, it's just so fun to see that character come to be. Because they 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 avoid making him bumbling. Yes. They kind of make him more hapless. Yes. Like he's just like kind of like, like hapless and it's just like almost like confused in awe of what's going on around him like like right like just, just, just like this is all unbelievable right more so than like being he, he's very much like a 
it's definitely you know what it's like it's like a sherlock and watson type uh like a dynamic that's a really good where it's like he's good at his job but clearly like sherlock is like the big like you know he knows everything and is like the most talented but like you know uh but the other but watson's like more like the anchor to 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 it all and but i thought he was just excellent and yeah so much fun it's a fantastic comedic performance and especially because like you know i would know most know that actor from the exorcist like in that role very dramatic film and and that in the original 12 angry men and and actually one of like the little um things about the movie for me was that I love the fact that they establish this friendship between them because mm-hmm. there is kind of like, oh, you know you love me, like that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I'm not going to come back, but you know you love me. Like it was yeah. kind of that kind of thing. And it was almost like at times the movie was finding so many ways for it to like, like I, I could have just used more of them mm-hmm. together yeah. in, in that friend. And it's one of those things like if you make that movie today, you know that they would milk that a little bit more mm-hmm. a, as like a as like yeah. a character thing. Yeah. So so Flint then goes to France because he's like again he's like they only make this bouillabaisse at this one place in France, and it makes it this way. And he goes to the bar and like orders the bouillabaisse, and of course, of course, the villains are there. Right. And so this is where he fights the Hans Gruber character. Not yeah. not. Uh, Alan Rickman, but just more of a henchman type of character yeah. uh, in the bathroom. And this is also where we get a little bit more into our, our villains of the movie a little yeah. bit with uh, the... Our villains in this movie are simultaneously the most interesting concept, but also not thought out in any way. Yes. Like, I, it, it's a very... I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's a very interesting element because... And I know I'm gonna I'm skipping kind of ahead a little bit, but ultimately, it's like, from what I gather, mm-hmm. because they also do this weird kind of like reveal later. Because at first, you just think it's like supervillains uh, controlling the weather. Yes. And then you find out, no, our villains or who we thought were our main villains in the movie are actually being controlled by this group of scientists. These three scientists. These, these three scientists who- Again, all like-, like a little diverse, not fully diverse. No, but, but it, yeah, it, it's like it's like a European, like an, an Asian a- guy, and like an American guy, yeah. and they all, at least the two of them, have switched each other's names because, like, the European guy is like Doctor Wu, yeah, and like yeah. the other guys like Doctor Stein or, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they give lip service to like they're going to use this weather machine to create a better world, like mm-hmm. essentially. So. So it was just interesting that there's like this rich kind of concept of like, you know, cuz they're preaching like we're beyond like the the pettiness of of man and man's issues and we're trying to basically create a new world like and the implication being like listen, we're we're there's no barriers between us. We're so forward thinking. We've even switched our names. And yet and- they are incredibly sexist. Yeah. <laughs> like they're simul- See, that's, that's what the thing is that's when I was like, wait, like, so is that a different thing going on? Because in, so it, while they're doing that, they're also, they also are making sex slaves? Yes. <laughs> no, because the whole thing is like, yeah, we, 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 like, the whole thing is like, 
we're going to use this weather machine to blackmail the world into giving up their armies and their nuclear weapons right. and basically like make like a peaceful world. Meanwhile, there's like a room full of women that are being hypnotized to be like, I'm a pleasure unit. I'm here to do whatever you want. Right. And what? then they've, and they've taken, I guess, like the funds that they have amassed through all the science they've done to create these weird party and sex rooms like yes. that are of different themes. <laughs> Most pure 60s part of this movie is when there's like they go into this room and there, it's just like kind of like the front part of it is just like a regular kind of like science room or whatever it may be. It's just kind of like a regular sort of like villain layer room. And then in the background in this other window, you see all these people dancing like to the wild like 60s like pop rock music. Oh, you know what and it looks like? It looks like you're in the hub world of a video game and all the doors are to all yeah. the different video game levels because yeah. then there's like a Greek room and then there's like a room where it's like a drive-in movie yes. theater. Yeah, no, but this is like all like the pleasure thing. So it's like all the dancing room and then like as soon as the doors open in a dancing room, you just hear the music and it's like crazy. Right. And then, yeah, and then he goes into this like Greek god room where like everybody's being fed grapes and then, and then it's like, what does this have to do with and anything? Then there, and then the '50s driving room where everybody's making out in cars, and there's not even a movie playing. Yeah, and they clearly know that's going on because one of their so our lead female character, like, yeah, is the running kind of bit about the movie is that she's constantly in charge of trying to kill Flint, and she keeps failing, and then eventually falls in bed with him, and. They're like, well, you failed us too many times, so now you go to the hypnotizing room you basically, basically, where you're going like, to be turned into a like, sex it's slave. Like, it literally is like the way that it's almost presented. It's like, look, woman, we've given you enough, enough chance to prove you need free will, and you've screwed it up. So now <laughs> you've lost it. It's true. But that's, no, that's literally the way it's presented. It's like, listen, girl, like you had your chance to be like a normal person. Now we're just going to make you a sex slave. Right. Sorry. It's kind of crazy. No, it, it, it's 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 pretty absurd. And it, then it, yeah. in that scene, we're going ahead because there's other stuff I want to talk about, but we're going ahead. But then Flint basically discovers that his four women have been also hypnotized in all in all these different rooms, and he goes up to like and basically like he saves uh, the main henchman lady by like, by going up to her. And basically, like, she's being hypnotized by... And again, even the effects of that, where it's, like, a, like an in-camera effect that's, like, really Oh, there, so at one point, I pointed this out, there's, like, crystals. It looks like it's just they're in a crystal cave. But then if you look closely, it looks like the crystals are on the lens of, of the, the camera. camera. That's when I was, like, yeah. this movie may be stretching it for me. Yeah. No, but basically, like, he goes into all the rooms and, like, each of it... Is, it is like a video game, because each of his women is in a different one of the rooms. Right. And... Like, you know, he's basically like, but when he saves, like, the henchman woman, he's just like, you're not a pleasure unit. Say you're not a pleasure unit. You you know, you don't deserve this. And then he goes into the other rooms, basically, uh, like, wakes. <laughs> you're right. He wakes. He, he wakes. They, they, they build it up like this is, like, the big moment of how he gets through to the, to the, to, through the, the hypnosis. Yeah. And then they just, like, reveal, like, oh, no, he's just. He's just Flint. Like, he yeah. just, he, his simple words can break you out of hypnosis. <laughs> yes, but he goes into each one of these rooms, just wakes up his woman, not any of the other women no. who have clearly also no. been hypnotized. No. Like, and then he's basically like, look, we got to And who get knows, many of them may have died on the island. Oh, yeah. by the way, they're on an island. Yeah, so eventually they're on an island, yeah. That, that is like, that goes underground, and then there's a monorail yeah. system. 
and then there's like a an eagle. Oh, can we talk about this, please? Uh, so, yeah, we gotta talk about the eagle. This may be our quote for the episode, so, by the way. Oh god, the eagle. So <laughs> this is you gotta go into the ma- the bad guy's lair. There's a giant pillar where there's an eagle. Well, yeah. So basically. Oh, God. Long story short, Flint has pretended to be dead so he can get to the villain's lair. Right. He's escaped from Good his... Good plant and payoff, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. He's... He's... Uh, he's... Um, got out of his coffin. You're right. He's taken on... like they, the, the, the team is known as Galaxy. hmm And he wears a Galaxy uniform, and he's basically kind of going through this island, and he's basically, like, in the pleasure area. And he's kind of like, what the hell's going on here? This is like crazy. Like all these people are like, you know, hip to t- like he's kind of knowing it right away. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to make his way through this this like field. And yes, though the entrance of the villain's lair, like the entrance of the actual facility, is like right ahead of him, and right on the outside of it is an eagle on a pillar. And then the eagle sees Flint. Yeah. Like. Flies over to him, takes off his helmet, yeah. and then flies back. And then the other two guys are like, hey, to me. Well, like- but it like it, it's like this kind of like mini, like they, they force so much of like the footage and the edits to like fake this fight between him and the eagle. <laughs> right, because I even forgot about that. So like the eagle like attaches like like the claws like grip, and you see like Flint like struggling and like trying like to punch the eagle. <laughs> And I'm like, this is where we're at in the movie, that he's fighting an eagle. But right. then it leads. But then it leads into, to. Like, which, again, you've probably heard it. But it has to be mentioned on mic. Yeah. Is so that- basically, the other guards are basically like, "You're coming with us. You're not like, you're not a galaxy member, or whatever." And then Flint's just like, "So, so why did the eagle just attack me?" And and they're like, "We've trained the eagle to to attack Americans." Yeah, or and to then, like point out Americans point or something out, like yeah, that. And then Flint just it's just, and again, perfect line delivery. He's like, "An anti-American eagle." Diabolical. <laughs> we both lost it, it. It was simultaneously both you and I were just like, we that was easily like just made it. Yeah. It was it was worth it all for that. That was yeah, so that was funny. Like, I was literally like, this movie was worth it just for for that moment. Um, and I think there was like another moment later too where we were, we were enjoying like when the, when they're having the confrontation with the, with the scientists. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, was... no, I mean, there's a lot of like good, fun, funny moments in in, in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 it all worked in in, in that regard. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. Well, we got to mention uh, Agent Triple O Eight. Yeah. So okay, that was that's actually uh, that was right on the tip of my tongue that they do give some lip service to a 007 type character. Yeah. So in it, a couple in a couple different ways. Yeah. Actually. So at the beginning of the movie, they're like, well, "What about Agent Triple O Eight? And and then there's like like like, like oh, he's on like a narcotics run. We don't really know like what's going on. We can't like pull him out basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then later when they get to France. Uh, when he's in the bar, he recognizes it. Like he basically, like Coburn is watching, or Flint, Coburn, Flint, yeah, is watching this woman on the stage dancing, and then she, he's like, you know, they're enjoying it, and then this guy is reaching out to her, like you know, touching her leg and stuff, and Flint's like, that's no good. He like takes him, and he's like, oh, and then like they're having this fight, and it's and they're but they're also having a very friendly conversation, like they're right. having this rough and tumble fight. And they're like, oh, 008, how are you doing? Hey, it's Flint, Derek Flint. How are you, man? How are you, man? I haven't seen you in a while. That sort of thing. Right, yeah. And then yeah, they play direct lift it, so it's like, I'm on this narcotics run. Like, you know, I'm trying to figure out who's uh, in charge of this thing. And then Flint's like, is it Spectre? 
he punches him. It's bigger than Spectre punches him back. <laughs> I thought that was fun. And I, then he's I, like, I you know, a fun uh, moment. Uh, and then he's like, oh, Galaxy, that's it, Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And then and then basically, of course, Flint like wins the wins the fight. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, but he punches he punches Triple A out of the of the room. It's like, hey, I'll see you later. Yeah, take care, Flint. And he like like you know as he punches him, it's it's kind of like a fun little thing. Also, like the 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 flying and the flip and kick effects in that were. Again, those little nods that they know this is not necessarily like. Don't take this too seriously. Yeah. The, yeah. But and, uh, and the Triple Eight actor was, you know, not a direct. Yeah. Like Connery, but like they he, they try to make him look like Connery, kind right. of that sort of thing. I, it was almost a running joke. I wish that they played up even more. Yeah, I wish I would have had one more appearance at the end. Yeah. Or something like because that. they even have a bit where like, the, and it's fun because like our our our, our lead. Uh, female, she's like reading a, a book. Yes, on triple oh eight, and then kind of makes a joke like, "Who would believe in like that a guy like and this?" You exists? know what? Like, it's what's really funny about that because yeah, she's reading the book and it just she tosses the book and you see the cover, like the Adventures of Triple Oh Eight, which this part was definitely not intentional, but I kind of like it because it almost matches up with like Fleming's fictional world. Oh, that's how I took it. Yeah, it's yeah. like that. Like Fleming was writing these books about this guy, and yeah. like, he presented him as real. I don't know. If, I, I can't imagine like that there would be that much thought into it. Maybe there was, but I thought there was a fun wrinkle at least for us. Yeah, no, I I like that as a bit and a joke that a 007 exists, and because it's a slightly heightened comedic world, you could joke about that. That yeah. he's like, even though he's a spy, like you're kind of taking that subtle joke that everybody knows him a little bit like he's yeah. still famous somehow i i like that as a bit and i can't think of a reference point of a like it's not a completely unique bit to this other things have kind of done it and i, I can't think of it yeah, but yeah. just that notion of like you're doing your own thing and you're kind of like also like tipping your hat to to, to the mm-hmm. other to the other stuff as well um and um so yeah, th- this movie. I also like. There's a there's a whole part where he goes to Italy too. There's a whole running gag where he where Flint has his whole code. Did you like get what that was about? No. Okay. I mean, I, I get plot wise like what it was. It, right. Where, like why everybody yeah. says I can imagine what it's based on. Yeah. So he's basically like his code is based on like you know, 38-4, like, whatever it was. The code being is that it's his own kind of, like, private, like, code that he could, like, say over the radio and it translates yeah. into something. And it's, it, there's a unique one for every, yeah. like, agent. and yeah. yeah, so this, um, so basically, I forget the exact numbers, but he's basically, like, er, like he's at Cramden and the taxi driver in Italy say the same thing, where it's like, you know, he's like, he's basically like, it's based off the incrementing, you know, numericals of, and then everybody's like, well, I can imagine what it's based on. Mm. It's based on women's bra sizes. Oh, I would have never yeah. gathered that. No, but yeah. you, you're not a broad guy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's the strangest thing you've ever said on, on the mic. What does, what on earth? <laughs> I know. Oh. Old bra stories. I remember. I remember with you. Oh no! Don't bring up college stories. No, I'm not going to say specifically. Just no. Okay. The now, audience can. Now I know. I, there, it's okay. nothing. That's funny. It's nothing bad. Yeah. Nothing real bad. <laughs> you could, if you heard the story, you could probably construe it as bad in some sense. But right. he was a freshman. No, it was very. It was very Flint-ish. Yeah. It was very Flint-esque. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then there's a the whole thing in Italy where he, he, you know, he's like, you know, same thing like a Bond would do, where it's like, oh, it's like. You know, he he figures out that they're also his fictional makeup company, right? Right, and and then like that's where he like gets to bed with with the henchwoman, right? But then, and you know how you knew she was into him because she let down her hair. 
Oh, yes. Like, that made Classic me laugh. Six. So, because she didn't take off her clothes. She didn't, like, undo a strap. She literally, like, her hair's up. She takes off the thing and the hair flows down, and then you knew it was on. Yeah. And then <laughs> that they, made me laugh. And basically, like, they're up very upfront where it's like, listen, like, I know you're part of Galaxy. You'll give me the information if, you know, I'll, you know, yeah. well, that sort of stuff. Then, you know, again, Flint pretends to be dead. They make the building fall into the ground. The Which is awesome. Yeah. Again, the production design is. And then, and then the taxi driver comes back with Cramden, and he's like, there was a building here. And, every, and everybody's like, no, this has been a cafe for pretty much forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you know, they the galaxy, they do all the you know scientists who are very sexist thing. And then, you know, he saves the women. He helps blow up the island. He gets his message out through. Which, the- by the way, given that this is a James Bond Godzilla podcast, when that island was blowing up, the only thing that would have made my day is if it cut to that that uh that piece of footage where Godzilla jumps off of the island as it's exploding. <laughs> you can edit that in very easily because it's from the same era. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it um, looks that way too. And then it also leads to, by the way, another very American aspect of this movie is that when that island's blowing up, and at the end of, and they kind of tip their hat to a very Bond trope where, oh, the like you know, like her majesty wants to speak with you or the prime minister wants to speak with you. And he's like, Oh, he's indisposed. So they kind of do that here, yeah. but they also end it with, cause it's always like a classy dignified ending in this one. It's everybody in the boat going like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. yeah no, like, like, and that's the thing again, that arc of Cramden where like, he's been all so wishy-washy and like really like pulling out his support for Flint. But right. at the end he's like, we did it. Do you see that island blow up? I don't know if you right, saw it. Right, you're going right. to see it. We did it. Yeehaw. Yeah, like, so it, it, and meanwhile, Flint's like, at, Flint's essentially asking that henchwoman, he's like, do you want to be the fifth woman in my apartment? Right. Which is maybe the closest it gets to being a little gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but then there, like, uh, yeah, there's yeah. also the fun thing where like, again, it does like the nice Bond thing too, where like Flint has to escape. Like while the, the the base is blowing up, like, right, 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 right out. That, of, that all was fun. Like, and then, like uh, yeah, he that places was good. all the women in barrels, and then he can't get in the barrel himself, so he just has to dive out. Yeah, because like the the water because he's stuff, Flint and he can easily like, survive that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, like, I liked yeah. all that stuff. the The one thing I would say because I, I, I've been generally pretty positive about the movie. Um, the the one little criticism I did have is that. Unfortunately for me, all the business involving his girls just is when the movie was kind of grinding to a halt yeah. for me. I, I just well, I mean, once, like I said, like on the one hand, yes, they they tiptoe it just well enough where it's not explicitly gross, but there's always like there's still something yeah. where it's like you just don't care. It, it's more it, it it it's funny because it had nothing really to do with like any of my feelings about it. It was just plot wise. I yeah. just thought it, right. it's it's the like, least it, interesting thing yeah. aspect and then it kind of felt like baggage on the movie mm-hmm. and it wasn't particularly fun or funny it, no. it, that that right. was when the movie well, was I just mean, slowing the other down thing about those women is that besides the fact that they're in this like harem it's like they don't also none of them have personalities like, yeah. none of them are distinct they're just like kind of there for the visual fidelity right of it and it, it's just like and it's just like again it's just like it, that, like you just get to the points where the more like it's like the more it's on screen, the more you think about it. The more you think about it, the weirder it gets. And and it is one of those things. If I had to give one general kind of criticism to it, that keeps it from being like like a fun watch, but like keeps it just at that and not great or anything, 
is that it does to me lack a certain propulsiveness in the storytelling. Yeah. Like there, there, there's not really an organic flow or an energy that keeps no, it going no. forward. Like the most like that you get is like the performances. Like you just kind of that kind of keeps up that energy a little bit. But right. you're completely right in the fact that it doesn't have that propulsive energy. It very much is like. Kind of does that sometimes comedy thing where it's just like bit by bit. And like, also part like of it is like the, here's the little here's the little bit in the in the French bar. Here's a little bit in right. Rome. Here's a little bit at like the base. Like it doesn't really have that natural flow. And also part of it is that you don't really get a sense of what's going on plot wise, other than he's just going around doing right, cause, secret cause, agent stuff. Because even the thing is like the whole point is like the weather's mysterious. Nobody knows what's going on. Flint find out, and he does. It's the thing about it is that like he's kind of not really on the trail of the weather thing. He's kind of just like more on the trail of the, the villains, which is fine. There's just like what it needs to be done. But right. It just, they never really match up until you get to the three scientists and it kind of all melds together. Right, right. So that was, that. that's really just kind of my overall criticism uh, of the work. But yeah. but otherwise, like I, I thought it was definitely a gem to watch. Uh, yeah, again, definitely like fun. Even, even if just a little weird gem of, uh, of its era, just like kind of in the same realm of the different way that I view the casino or else system, but it's that same kind of thing where it's just like, just viewing it, you just get a sense of like the mid sixties. But, but even with that said, that's as a movie. And I think as a discussion and an, an analytical piece, a very, very interesting and striking example of an, how to Americanize a concept like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that it does some, it, it's definitely worth looking into in terms from that angle. Like, I think it does some pretty uh, interesting things to create an American spy, James, or just answer to James Bond. And I, and I think that there's some strong elements in the subtext there. Um, the last thing I did want to say, because I did want to bring this up, because this was one of the thoughts that I had about it, because I already mentioned up at the top about them, you wouldn't see a movie like this made. Yeah. But all I could think about is, like, if you were to remake this, mm-hmm. which I think this would be on my list of things that you could successfully remake into a great movie, yeah. and that's what I was thinking about. Who would you cast as Flynn, maybe the other characters, because I was thinking like, if you were to make a movie, there's certain things just story-wise you would do. I think you'd have to put some sort of a, more of a intentional story into it. I think you would have to speak a little bit more into the American nature of this stuff. I think that you would milk a little bit more of the relationship between uh, uh, Flynn um, and uh, Cramden. Cramden. And you'd probably have to not have four women living in it. There's a way you could do that, actually. Like not, not in the way, yeah. I'm not just saying, in like, this way, but there is way. there is a way that you could do it. I think there there is because again, like it's they just, do a pretty good job of it. I don't think you can do it like oh, this is like a harem of women. Yeah, like if, like this is just like you know. <laughs> I I feel like there is a way you could do it. Yeah. Um, but my my pitch for if you were to do this now, yeah, Ryan Gosling. Funny Ryan Gosling, though. Yeah, that's almost too perfect. Because I was just thinking of Ryan got like like a from what, what's his character in um, Crazy Stupid Love? Yes. Like in just I could just imagine Ryan Gosling doing that like 
he can do anything with just that little that little that smile, little smirk, uh, right? That little that smirk little, like, on his like, face. Again, like again, how Corbin kind of has it. He has that little smirk, that smile that he has. Right, that shines that character so much. Gosling, I think, would could, and, could pull that. And off you before. could buy that he's just in this situation where he respectfully treats all these women, mm-hmm. and. I, I think you could buy that. I think the problem becomes like if you just keep them in the movie. I think that's the big issue. Sorry to go back to this point, but yeah. it's like just have them in that bit of the movie because then you get into like, well, now they're kidnapping them and he's got to rescue them. I think that's where and, and like, and it it's starts like the thing again. Muddy. It's like the weird thing where they're they're hypnotized to be pleasure units and then he's taking them out to be like just yeah. free willed pleasure units. Yeah, in some yeah. Way. So it, it's like, but I would if if you were to remake this, I would keep them. Into in the in the front of the movie, uh, or that it, or that, or make them like kind of like a death squad, like later on in the movie, yeah. like you could play with that a little bit. Play, 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 play. But but Ryan Gosling would be the harder one is who is is crammed in yeah. because there's some really good. I'm trying to think of some really good options for that because it it kind of I guess would have to be like an older guy, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, see that that's a that that's a harder one. Yeah, but like the thing is, like again, do you like go more comedy side of things? Do you yeah, go, no, of course. Yeah, of you course go, you, you go, go more comedy with it. Yeah, like a like a John C. Riley type, or do you go a little bit more like that's that's actually pretty good. That yeah. that's that's not bad. Yeah, I think it, like that's the one I could imagine. Yeah, in that role John John C. Riley would be good. Like a uh, like um. Uh, like a Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti could, could would, yeah. would be it would be pretty yeah, good. Would be nice, yeah. Yeah. I kind of can. All right. Listen, you and I, we have Jet Jaguars. Yeah. Bad out of hell, which is going to happen this year. Which is we haven't talked about that on the podcast, but that's like a personal project that will happen. I think we just need to add this to our list. Yeah. Of like, the R-Man Flint remake. The R-Man Flint remake. Yeah. Like we could sell this to like Amazon Studios. Yeah. I, I think, think I think it'd happen. be great. I think it'd be great. Um. So yeah, so that's all I have to say about the movie. Fun yeah, watch and fun watch. Enjoyed it. And then you know, again, if if you want to check it out, you can rent it. Was on there anything Amazon. aftermath related? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh there is. Oh yes. oh well, go ahead. Like come on. Okay. Let's so, let's lay it out. Um, just wanted to say. Well, we got to talk about that. The movie was uh, very successful for Fox. Um, the uh movie made twelve million dollars, almost thirteen million dollars at the box office, and Fox themselves just said they needed seven million to 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 make its money back and so they they got almost doubled their money and they were very eager to as they said in the beginning now that this was successful make it a franchise so they go immediately into production on the sequel which is uh, also i should say besides besides it being a uh box office success it was critically well reviewed at the time and um very much was something that uh, people thought was like a nice little alternate to bond or you know kind of had that little fun element of it so they do make a sequel the next year it's 1966 1967 mm-hmm. in like flint is the sequel <laughs> and as i explained to will uh the log line the pitch of the movie is that flint is up against these uh feminist terrorists who kidnap and replace the president in an effort to make the united states a matriarchy <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait! Can't wait to we watch will, it. We will watch it. Wait, maybe Can't not. Can't wait. We'll, maybe not a full episode on the podcast. Maybe a bonus thing down the road. We may we may discuss that. Um, that movie was also successful, uh, box office wise. A little bit more mixed at the review circuit, and a third movie was in development. Uh, but Coburn was wanted to retire. The Derek Flint character did not want to return. 
and the studio didn't want to do a movie without Coburn. So mm. the, the the third Flint movie, unfortunately, was dead on arrival. But in the mid-70s, a uh, Canadian television pilot was uh, issued for a Derek Flint television series uh, mm. for Canadian television uh, called Derek Flint Dead on Target. It was Flint uh, retiring from the spy game to become a private investigator. Uh, but it was essentially the same character played by a different actor named Ray Danton. Um, and it had uh, it was originally uh, made for Canadian TV. The pilot aired on ABC in 1976, but the series was not picked up. Um, in terms of his legacy, uh, just like I said, this movie is probably the most notable of the kind of Bond offshoot parodies type of movies. Right. Um, outside of like OK Connery's like weirdness of being like Connery's brother, this is probably the most notable one. Uh, the one that has the most cult status. Uh, there is kind of a cult love for this movie that people, you know, it's kind of been a little bit forgotten over time, but like there is a kind of enjoyment of it and people like sharing, um, you know, the movie. Um, there was also a novelization of the film, which I would be very interested to read because <laughs> apparently it has extra scenes from the script that weren't wasn't filmed. That's interesting. Um, the most the thing that people might know most was uh, actually the ringtone of the presidential hotline. Um, yes, which yes, is very recognizable. Actually, uh, reused in Austin Powers. Um, That's where I remember it from because yeah. I, I remember hearing it and I, and I couldn't quite place where I knew it from. Uh, um, so it was it was reused for Austin Powers as is actually. Uh, um, uh, Mike Myers basically referencing like our man Flint as a kind of somewhat predecessor of the movie mm-hmm. uh, directly, but also used in uh, Hudson Hawk and was very famous on LA radio uh, as a kind of uh, um, for specifically for the disc jockey Rick Dees would use as a sound effect for his, you know, the hotlines are open type mm-hmm. of thing. So um, that would be the most thing that people will most notably recognize, yeah. but it does have a kind of cult following uh, of the movie. Yeah. Well, consider me a a, a a entry member of that club. I, I, I think I would advocate for this one. I think this I think this is a fun watch, everybody. Yeah. I, I think you should I think you should check it out. It's on Amazon. You rent it. Um, gets my thumbs up. Gets my seal of approval. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, does that does that do it uh, for that this? Does it for the R Man Flint episode? Mm-hmm. Um, we can just get into it on uh, next time on the bond side of things. We are going to get into uh, the original episode for this month. We are going to talk about the uh, most recent version of uh, man from uncle starring uh, Henry Cavill mm-hmm. and a bunch of other lovely actors. Uh, and we're going to talk about it specifically because it is another Ian Fleming production. Uh, and I thought looking at the, the modern, film version of it would be very interesting uh even a dynamic because uh especially in comparison to the other spy stuff um the other thing you know one of the things about man from uncle is it remains a period piece um and so it'd be very interesting to kind of see that kind of spy thing in that kind of period in you know guy Ritchie's Mm -hmm. sandbox yeah cool all right well that that does it that does it for for that um but next time is not a uh, Bond episode. Yeah, it, so is, it is a Godzilla. It, it is a Godzilla episode. Do you, do you episode. have an idea? I do. Um, yeah, because this is we didn't we didn't hear it on the December episode, so I'm very interested. No, to see. no, because you know what? I, I think we're gonna start a little. We're gonna start in a comfort zone this year, and I but I, I think that it would 
to be fair, we should also start with, uh, as this was a movie that uh, neither of us had seen, uh, I think it would uh, be nice to also watch a movie that really neither of us have seen Mm -hmm. um, or sat down and watched, and especially me, which is kind of surprising. But also, uh, New Year, just start off a little easy, a little comfortable. Uh, I think uh, it is time for us to delve in to the original Mothra uh, I'm, film. I'm very excited to return to this era of kaiju. Yeah, films and you know, I knew this was like I didn't know I didn't know what was next. I knew this was something we were gonna take a look at. Yeah, and you know me, I love that Showa era. I'm yeah. a Showa era dude, so I'm very interested to see kind of the original Mothra and how it compares to what we've, we've just seen. spent so much time in modern uh, Godzilla that this would be a nice change of pace to go all the way back to the beginning. And we're you know this you know if there's a theme for January, we're sharing eras. Yeah, yeah, we're both back in the sixties. Absolutely. Baby. So uh, so get ready for the original uh, Mothra um, next time. So uh, until then, I'm done. Uh, you're done. We're both done. So plug away and then. We stop recording. Yeah. Okay. Here's bonzillapod at gmail.com. That's the email address you can send us emails at. Facebook.com slash bonzilla 7 Twitter.com slash bonzilla 7 Like and subscribe. iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, here's to more James Bond and Godzilla goodness. And uh, we will see you next time. Next time. All right. Good night.